European Hearts Journal issue at a glance, Volume 37, Issue 35, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. An update on interventional cardiology, management of CTO, performance of absorbable scaffolds, coronary vasomotion after DES, and antithrombotics. In spite of all the progress made over the last decades, coronary artery disease remains the most important cause of morbidity and mortality in Western countries, as well as in the developing world. Atherosclerotic plaques, the underlying cause of the disease, can lead to stenosis or occlusion of epicardial coronary arteries, leading to ischemia and angina. Acute plaque rupture leads to occlusion and ST-segment myocardial infarction, while patients with slowly developing plaques may develop collaterals, and will therefore present with stable angina rather than infarction, even in the presence of coronary occlusion. Coronary chronic total occlusions are commonly encountered in patients undergoing coronary angiography, and their current management is updated in a timely review appropriateness of percutaneous revascularization of coronary chronic total occlusions, an overview, by Alfredo Galassi and colleagues from the Canizaro Hospital in Catania, Italy. Observational studies have demonstrated that successful revascularization of chronic total occlusions is associated with improved quality of life and better outcomes. However, in the absence of randomized trials, its prognostic benefit remains debatable. Over the past decade, important developments in dedicated equipment and techniques have resulted in higher success and lower complication rates. Both European and American guidelines have assigned a Class 2A, Level of Evidence B, recommendation for the percutaneous revascularization of coronary chronic total occlusions. The authors, all experienced operators, stress the importance of appropriate patient selection and provide a critical assessment of the current guidelines and recommendations on the percutaneous revascularization of coronary chronic total occlusions. Stents were a major breakthrough in interventional cardiology, particularly with the availability of drug-eluting stents. However, these metallic cages that remain in the coronary circulation are only useful acutely and during the healing process of the lesion. Thereafter, they prevent normal coronary vasomotion and interfere with future bypass operations. Thus, absorbable scaffolds, either made from lactic acid or magnesium, are the most recent development in coronary intervention. In a Euro-PCR fast track, sustained safety and performance of the second-generation drug-eluting absorbable metal scaffold, DREAMS 2G, in patients with de novo coronary lesions, 12-month clinical results and angiographic findings of the Biosolve 2 first-in-man trial. Michael Howder and colleagues from the Städtische Kliniken Neuss in Germany provide more insights in the long-term outcome of magnesium-based scaffolds. The Biosolve 2 trial enrolled 123 patients with up to two de novo lesions with a reference diameter between 2.2 and 3.7 millimeters. All patients were scheduled for angiographic follow-up at six months and, if participants consented, at 12 months. Dual antiplatelet therapy was recommended for six months only. 
Quantitative coronary angiography parameters remain stable from 6 to 12 months, with a late lumen loss of 0.20 plus or minus 0.21 and 0.25 plus or minus 0.22 millimeters respectively, and an in-scaffold late lumen loss of 0.37 plus or minus 0.25 and 0.39 plus or minus 0.27 millimeters respectively. Intravascular ultrasound and optical coherence tomography findings corroborated the angiographic results. Target lesion failure occurred in four patients, or 3.4%, among them one death of unknown cause, one target vessel myocardial infarction, and two clinically driven target lesion revascularizations, with none of the patients experiencing a definite or probable scaffold thrombosis. Thus, the novel drug-eluting metal-absorbable scaffold, DREAMS-2G, exhibits a sustainable, favourable safety profile up to 12 months. The manuscript is accompanied by a comprehensive editorial by David P. Faxon from the University of Chicago in Illinois, USA. As previously mentioned, drug-eluting stents prevent coronary vasomotion within the stented segment, but also induced abnormal vasomotion distally. In their paper, Beneficial Effects of Long-Acting Nifedipine on Coronary Vasomotion Abnormalities After Drug-Eluting Stent Implantation, the novel study, Hiroaki Shimokawa and co-investigators remind us that they previously demonstrated experimentally in pigs that long-acting nifedipine suppresses coronary hyperconstriction induced by the first generation of drug-eluting stents, for example, serolimus and pacrotaxel-eluting stents, through inhibition of vascular inflammation. In order to examine whether this is also the case with second-generation everolimus-eluting stents in humans, they conducted a prospective randomized multicenter trial in which they evaluated 100 patients with stable angina pectoris who underwent implantation in the left coronary arteries. They were randomly assigned to receive either conventional treatment or 10 to 60 milligrams per day long-acting nifedipine. After around 10 months, 37 patients in the control and 38 in the nifedipine group received intracoronary acetylcholine after 48-hour withdrawal of nifedipine. Coronary vasoconstriction to acetylcholine was enhanced at the distal edge of everolimus-eluting stents compared with non-stented vessel, and this was suppressed by nifedipine. Furthermore, high-sensitivity CRP and adiponectin were also lower in the nifedipine group. They conclude that drug-eluting stent-induced coronary vasomotion abnormalities remain an important issue even with the second generation of drug-eluting stents, for which long-acting nifedipine exerts beneficial effects associated with its anti-inflammatory effects. Pharmacodynamic profiles of antiplatelet drugs are particularly important after stent implantation in order to quickly reach effective platelet inhibition to prevent stent thrombosis. In their manuscript, A Head-to-Head Pharmacodynamic Comparison of Prasugrel versus Ticagrelor After Switching from Clopidogrel in Patients with Coronary Artery Disease, Results of a Prospective Randomized Study, 
Dominic J. Angiolio and colleagues from the University of Florida in Jacksonville, USA, compared the pharmacodynamic effects of prazogrel or ticagrelor after switching from clopidogrel therapy in 110 patients with coronary artery disease randomized to loading dose of 60 mg prazogrel followed by a maintenance dose of 10 mg or a loading dose of 180 mg of ticagrelor followed by a maintenance dose of 90 mg BID for one week. Pharmacodynamics were assessed using three assays, i.e. VASP, Verify Now, P2Y12, and LTA. At baseline, 30 minutes, 2 and 24 hours, and 1 week. Switching patients on clopidogrel to a loading dose of prazogrel or ticagrelor was associated with a reduction in platelet reactivity at 30 minutes, and was sustained at all time points up to one week with the maintenance dose. Platelet reactivity was similar with prazogrel and ticagrelor with all assays at 30 minutes, 2 hours, and 1 week, with the exception of LTA at 30 minutes, where it was lower with prazogrel. At 24 hours, platelet reactivity was lower among patients initiating ticagrelor maintenance dose after 12 rather than 24 hours after loading. The authors conclude that prazogrel and ticagrelor exert a similar P2Y12 inhibition and are more potent compared to clopidogrel. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Marco Cataneo from the Università degli Studi di Milano in Italy. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.